thank you for your word, the Bible. We thank you that it has been around for thousands and thousands of years. And we thank you, Lord, that it is the number one bestseller every single year. And Lord, we know that within the pages of the Bible, it is a living book, a breathing book. It is a book that communicates life and communicates death. It is a book that shows how to be blessed in this world, how to have joy in the journey of life, Lord. And Lord, I pray that we will get a fresh revelation of how important it is for us to be in our Bibles and in our words and reading them and studying them and listening to them and watching them and being a part and letting that be a part of our everyday life. So Lord, I just pray your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of our hearts this morning about the importance of your Holy Word and what that Bible means to each and every one of us personally, and how each and every one of us was given this Bible personally by you, Lord, so that our lives could be changed. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Well, we're going to talk about the Bible over the next few weeks. We've been talking about finding joy in the journey of life this year. We have looked at many different venues that can bring joy. We've looked at prayer. We've looked at hope. We've looked at um, just being persevering through trials and tribulations. And now we're going to take a look at the Word of God, the Bible. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there isn't that thing, there's this idea that joy and peace comes from trusting God, and it overflows in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. But I do want to say that the best way that we can get filled with hope and peace is by knowing what's in this holy word, amen? It's important. I, I know we live in a changing culture today, and I know around us all these things are happening, and, and we battle all kinds of different perspectives and worldviews. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, there's a couple prominent worldviews that are out there that are vying for our attention. In other words, they want us to buy into their belief system. There is the worldview of the Western culture called materialism or scientific naturalism. See, the worldview of scientific naturalism takes what, what can be learned by the scientific world and pushes that forward as true knowledge. Things that cannot be demonstrated scientifically, though, are either lowered in status as a secondary truth or dismissed as unknowable. Furthermore, everything that exists is either physical or completely dependent on the physical world for existence. And the problem with that worldview is there's no spiritual dimension to it. How many know there's a spiritual dimension to life? Amen? There is another spiritual world out there. And, uh, and the Word of God illuminates our eyes to that. Well, there's another worldview out there pressed today. This world is postmodernism. Postmodernism is a reaction to the cold, purposeless picture painted by scientific naturalism, which actually just exasperates the problem. The essential idea behind postmodernism is that because everyone sees through a worldview, there is no such thing as truth that exists independently of our own personal interpretation. Since there are no absolute truth, no absolute reason, and even faith is a meaningless concept to this belief system, everything revolves around the individual. There are no absolutes, and all of life is whatever you want to make it to be. And how many of you know that that is very dangerous if everybody can define what's right and wrong in this world by your own personal tastes? It's very dangerous. There's a guy by the name of Hitler that had that belief system. 
that everything should center around what he believed in. And he believed that the Jews should be wiped out. He believed that they should be eradicated from this world. And so we, we battle these two mindsets, and, and you're saying, well, Pastor Mike, aren't you forgetting, you know, another mindset? And I'm not forgetting it, but I want you to know, those are the two prominent uh, biblical or uh, worldviews that we see today that are promoted across our media, that are promoted across TV shows and most movies. Those are the two worldviews that are vying for your attention, and yes, there is a third. It's called a biblical worldview. And a biblical worldview is totally different because a biblical worldview looks at life, looks at what happens on a daily basis through the lens of the Bible. And some people, you know, they criticize the Bible as being irrelevant or out of date or out of touch or not not being able to connect with what's happening in our modern culture. But I want to tell you something, that there are over 100 million copies of the Bible sold each year. It is the number one selling book in the world every single year. You want to know how many Bibles have been sold in its history? And this is just a guess, by the way. There are over 5 billion copies of the Bible that have been sold throughout its history. Now, 5 billion, think about billion, that's a lot of zeros, amen? 5 billion Bibles in existence around the world and have been over the centuries. The Bible has been translated into 532 languages. It has been partially translated into 2,883 languages. The Bible is not a single work, but a collection of works from a wide variety of authors such as shepherds, kings, farmers, priests, poets, scribes, and even fishermen. Authors also include traitors, embezzlers, adulterers, murderers, and auditors, by the way. The Bible was written by approximately 40 men of diverse backgrounds over the course of about a 1,500 time span. So this is kind of represents about a 1,500-year time span and what you're looking at there. But the Bible takes place across three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. And by the way, if you really go deep into the Bible, the Bible is written in a time period of about, like I said, about 1,500 years, but covers nearly 4,000 years of human history. It covers God's revelation of himself to men. The history of the Bible is the history of God's involvement with mankind. And we need to understand that this is all about God coming to us and telling us in Genesis that God has given us identity in him because God created man and, his, man and woman in his image. Can you say amen to that? So the Bible is about our identity. It tells me who I am. See, the world wants to tell me who I am. The world wants to redefine who I am. And the world does really good in the educational systems of trying to redefine who you are. But the Bible says who I am. It says that I am created in the image of God and that there's a second thing that the Bible tells me from Genesis to Revelation. It's not only my identity, but second, it's my destiny. How many know that we want to know where we're going, right? I don't know about you. I want to know my destiny. And God has a specific plan and purpose for every single life that has been born on the face of the earth. God has a plan for you personally, and the Bible will help you find what that plan is. For me, personally, I never wanted to be a pastor. Most of you may know that if you've been around this church a long time. I first became a Christian when I was 18 years old. I grew up in a dysfunctional family home that was totally a mess. It was filled with fights. I have scars on my body from the fights from the time I'm 11 years old. 
But God came and got a hold of me when I was a young man and a teenager and I was struggling and I was looking for my self-identity and I was looking for purpose in my life and God revealed himself in such a supernatural way in my life that it changed the projection of my path on the path I was going. And it set me on his path. I got saved when, I'm 18, when I was 18 years old, just shortly turned 18. I was about 17 actually toward the latter part. And I gave my life to Christ, and by the way, I turned 60 in about a month. Yeah, 60. So for almost 42 years, this thing has guided my life. And can I tell you something? It has never let me down. And I still get amazed at it. They say, well, don't you get bored with the Bible? By the way, I've been studying the Bible since I've been 18 years old for 42 years every single week, by the way. If you go to SermonCentral.com, I have over 800 sermons on SermonCentral.com. I've probably written close to 1,000 sermons in my lifetime so far. And you know what I find? Every time I pick up the Bible, it's new, it's refreshing, it breathes, it speaks to me, it is alive. It's not a dead book. That's why I can read something 20 times and come back the 21st time and said, wow, I never saw that before. Wow, how did I miss that before? That's because the Holy Spirit speaks to you through his word. And that's why the Bible is so phenomenal. That's why the Bible is so unique. See, as we look at it, it's, it's interesting that nearly 8 in 10 Americans regard the Bible as either the literal Word of God or the inspired Word of God. 8 out of 10 Americans today believe this. So 80% of the population of our culture believes the Bible's uh, relevant for today. It's just the problem is they don't put it into practice. And we need to put it into practice if we want joy in the journey of life and we want to do things that are going to change the projection of our course and understand that we do have a destiny, we need to understand what the Bible is all about. Amen? So you can jump to that next slide here. We, we're going to focus on uh, finding your joy through the Word because the Word of God is so totally unique and powerful. By the way, the most expensive book in the world is a translation of the biblical Psalms it's called the Basom book, which was sold to a person who loved the Bible so much, you know how much he paid for that book? $14 million. I was like, I need to get to know that guy, right? <laughs> $14 million. But it's an ancient, it's an ancient book, by the way, too. It's one of the oldest existing books around, dating, like I said, all the way back over 4,000 years in history. Archaeology has been called the Bible's best friend, a statement that reflects the long history of discoveries that were supported by the Bible long before they were discovered. Matter of fact, sometimes the critics come along and say, well, the Bible mentions this people group, but there's no mention of this people group in history. And then it's always amazing to me a year or so later, they find a discovery, an archaeological discovery that proves that these people existed at this certain time. By the way, the Bible has not been proven to be wrong in regards to archaeology. Did you know that? See, we hear what the skeptics say about the Bible, and they attack the Bible, and they try and take the credibility and the validity and the, of the Bible way. But the re reality is the Bible is one of the most accurate resources that's out there. And it deals with every subject imaginable. It does deal with science, by the way. 
it does deal with all kinds of different things. I, I have this book I picked up years ago. What does the Bible say about, and it goes A to Z. Any idea what the Bible covers? Well, it talks about defense. It talks about decision-making. It talks about confidence. It talks about coalition. It talks about civil rights. It talks about the church and state. It talks about politics. It talks about callings. It talks about banking. It talks about spiritual authority. It talks about anger. It talks about lust. It talks about ambition. It talks about abortion. It talks about advisors. It talks about accountability. And I'll go to the other side. It talks about being intellectual. It talks about interracial marriage. It talks about marriage. It talks about legalism, talks about meditation, talks about psychology, talks about sociology, talks about humanity, talks about, you want me to just keep going? I can keep going. And when I tell people who tell me that the Bibles are relevant, the first thing I always ask them is, did you read it? Have you read it? Have you been in it? Have you looked at it? Because here's an amazing thing. There's another book I want to highlight to you today. And this one's called by Josh McDowell, The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict. If you don't know who Josh McDowell is, Josh McDowell was an atheist. Matter of fact, he was doing his doctorate degree, and he had decided for his doctorate degree, he was going to prove that Christianity and the Bible are false. He was going to prove without a shadow of a doubt by scientific evidence and research in different many areas how the Bible was not real, was not filled with truth. And so he started on this journey to disprove the Bible, and then in the midst of his journey, guess what happened to him? He found Jesus. He said, I found so much evidence for the Bible as being God's word and God's truth and what we need to live by, and that within the pages of the Bible are so much accuracy and so many things that instead of writing a book to refute the Bible, he wrote a book to say how important it is to know your Bible. And he gives you all the scientific information throughout his book proving how the Bible proves archaeology, how the Bible proves historical data, how this and that. And he just goes, you got to read the book. You can see it's pretty thick. And he set out to disprove it, and it changed his view. See, that's how powerful the Bible is if you take it to heart. We can put Bibles on our coffee tables, and they look pretty. And there's some really pretty Bibles out there. But if you never pick it up and read it, you've missed the whole point of the Bible. God did not give us the Bible to sit on a coffee table to look at. Amen? He gave us the Bible as his word. And we're going to go back to what I just said. He showed us in Genesis that we were given identity in him. What happened with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? They gave their identity away. Then they didn't know who they were. They were also given destiny. Their destiny was they were to multiply and replenish the earth and to rule over the earth and to take care and manage the earth. But when they sinned, they gave those two things away. And so we also need to know that there is a third thing that God gave us that runs throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And the third thing you will discover in the Bible that not only do you find your self-identity in the Bible, not only do you find your destiny in the Bible, but thirdly, you find that God created you to be in relationship with him. The third thing Adam and Eve had, they walked in the garden with God, literally, But when they fell into sin, they hid from God. By the way, there's still a lot of people hiding from God today. When Jesus came along, though, Jesus gave us back all three of those things. He gave us back our identity in him. 
He gave us back our destiny when he died on the cross. That's why we celebrate communion. And thirdly, he gave us back our relationship directly with God the Father. We don't need priests to be our intermediary. He is our intermediary right to God the Father. And we we just don't realize it because we don't know Bibles. We don't understand because we don't get in our Bibles. And the sad thing is, is what you listen to is what you become. And, and we have all this media in front of us today that wants to take away from the Bible and discredit the Bible and discredit Jesus and discredit the church and discredit your biblical worldview, your biblical uh, view system of how you look at things. And they're constantly and constantly attacking. And by the way, just so you know, that happened all the way back in Genesis. And it will continue until the day Jesus Christ decides to come back. So just be aware that we are sheeps among wolves, that this world will never embrace the Bible. But you individually can embrace the Bible. You individually can experience God. You individually can find your identity through the Word of God. You individually can find your destiny and purpose in life through the Word. And you can find a personal, intimate relationship with God the Father through the Word. That's amazing if you think about it. And we we just sometimes don't understand because we live in such a changing culture, fast-paced, changing society. And and by the way, I just want to say this too. You can know your Bibles. And man, I'm all for anything that helps you know your Bible. If you look in your bulletin there, we encourage people to do the YouVerse app. Uh, because on the YouVerse app, man, you got the Bible, all kinds of translations right at your fingertip. You can listen to the Bible on this YouVerse app. It's free, by the way. You can do devotions on the YouVerse Bible app. And by the way, I put all my PowerPoints on the YouVerse app. You can go and look at that. Its directions are in your bulletin. But you can go look at my PowerPoints on the YouVerse app. I'm all for technology. Can you say amen to that? I'm all for technology that promotes the Word of God. But I want you to know we live in such a fast-paced society that things change at a rapid pace. We live in, I think, a throwaway society. Things are out of date within years like iPhones. You spend all this money on an iPhone, and three years later, you're, you're putting it in the drawer and closing the drawer, right? Or you're trading it in because it's out of date. We have the same with computers, TVs, appliances, and so on. We don't hold on to the familiar anymore. In the assuring idea of the past, instead, many look at the past as irrelevant and out of touch, and they disregard it, they throw it away, and they consider it out of date with no meaning, purpose, or validity. But I want you to know, the Bible is not invalid in our modern-day society. The truths that are in here are still applicable to today. There's a story I came across that talks about that things from the past should hold us dear And it's a story in the early days of the Tennessee Valley Project. A dilapidated homestead was going to be torn down. They were damming the river, and the valley was going to be flooded out. A new split-level ranch was built for this certain Appalachian family on a hillside to relocate them from the flood zone that was going to be flooded. The day of the flooding arrived, and the bulldozers were there to tear down the old house, but the family refused to move out of the old homestead. And finally, out of desperation, a social worker was called in to find out what the problem was. We ain't going anywhere, was the reply. The social worker pleaded with them to tell her what the problem was and why they would not move into their new beautiful home that was built for them. And this, this, this older gentleman looked over and pointed at the fire in his hearth that had been burning. He says, you see that fire over there? And the man asked, pointing 
blazing fire in a primitive hearth of the log cabin. My grandpa built that fire over 100 years ago, the man explained. He never let it go out, for he had no matches, and it was a long way to the neighbor's house. So you see, then my pa tended the fire, and since he died, I've tended the fire, and that fire hasn't gone out in over 100 years. He says, we're not leaving because we're not going to let that fire go out. Well, the social worker was rather wise, and the social worker got the idea. She asked to bring a, a large apple butter kettle, one of those old big black kettles, and she took all the hot coals from the fire and put them into the kettle, and she took the fire that was in the kettle, and she took it to their new home, and they put it in the new fireplace, and guess what? They transferred the fire, and the family was happy to go because they could hold on to that old tradition of what their grandpa and their pa had taught them about tending the fire. And I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up in a Christian home that taught me the validity or the power of the Bible. I had discovered that on my own. But I want you to know I plan on passing that tradition down to every one of my kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. Can you say amen to that? It's interesting. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I grew up in inner city. And it was interesting this last week I, I made a discovery I hadn't made before and I didn't know because nobody on my family history on the McCartney side ever told me this story. I discovered that in the late 1800s, there was a Presbyterian pastor whose name was Clarence Edward McCartney. If you don't know, my name is Michael Edward McCartney, who was a great pastor in the city of Pittsburgh for over 25 years or so. And I started looking at that, and I called my mom. You know, I said, hey, hey, mom, uh, who is Clarence Edward McCartney? She goes, I never heard of him. Called my dad. Dad, do you know anybody by the name of Clarence Edward McCartney? He goes, hey, I think... Uh, I think there was a brother back years and years ago who was named Clarence, but yeah, I don't know anything about the guy. I mean, you got to admit, he's late 1800s, okay? But then I discovered he, he was a pastor. He was a preacher. And then I discovered that he wrote three books. Guess what I ordered this week? Three books from Clarence Edward McCartney out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And you see, you never know what's in your history, Right? But if you go back and look into your history, and, and what I'm trying to tell you is this, there are things that are historical, that are ancient, that we need to hold on to, amen, that need to be passed down from one generation to the next. And, we, and the Bible is one of those things we should pass from generation to generation to generation. And just like this family didn't want to leave the fire, we, we can't leave the fire of the Bible, amen? We need the fire of the Bible because it reveals who you are with your self-identity. It reveals your destiny, and it will reveal that you have a personal relationship with God the Father at your fingertip if you want it. So this is what we're talking about. God's written word, the Bible. When followed and obeyed, it gives joy to our hearts and revives our souls. And so our main text for this next section of our series is out of Psalm 19, verse 7 through 6. And then if you, this next slide kind of tells us what it says here. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect. By the way, whenever you see words like law, precepts, uh, the word, uh, and we're talking about other ones. They all refer back to the Bible, by the way. So the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. See, we were given God's word for a specific purpose. God gave us his word in written form and in oral form to revive our souls. How many know our souls are ravaged by sin? Our souls are ravaged by society, culture, 
and things where sin just comes in to kill, steal, and destroy. But he has given us his word to revive our soul. And I don't know about you, but I think there's a lot of people that need their souls revived. Amen. I need my soul revived at least weekly, if not daily, if not hourly, if not by the minute. And so God's word revives my soul. It says the statues, another reference for the word of God, the statues of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. And then I found my key verse. Remember, finding joy in the journey through the word. Look at what the next verse says. The precepts, which also refer to the word of God, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving what? Joy to the heart. Do you know why there's a lot of depressed people today? Do you know why people are so, uh, so depressed and down in our society? They don't have God's word in their heart. God's word in your heart will bring you joy. It doesn't matter if you have trials and tribulations. It doesn't matter what happens to you. It doesn't matter the economy. It doesn't matter your job. It doesn't matter this. It doesn't matter that. It doesn't matter whatever. The promise of God's word is if you put the precepts of the Lord in your heart, they will give you joy. And, and that means joy unending, joy ever pressing forward. And see, the commands of the Lord are irradiant, it says. So commands, by the way, reference the word of God again. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. I don't know about you, but you know why there's a lot of people walking around doing some really dumb stuff and saying dumb stuff today? Because they're walking around in darkness and they can't even see. They don't know. They don't know what the truth is. They don't know the truths that are found in the Bible. They don't know they can have a personal relationship with God Almighty. They, and, and see, but the word of God is light to her. It helps show us where we're supposed to walk. In other words, the light of the word of God will show us where our destiny is, where we should going, what path we should be taking. And, it can, and it's going to vary depending on whatever God has called you to do. For me, he took me down the path to be a pastor. And I want you to know I started out as a carpenter. And, and I didn't want to be a pastor. I remember Pastor Nate who preached here last April he came up to me after I became a Christian, and, and Pastor Nate said to me, he literally said to me, he goes, you know, Mike, I just want you to know I really feel God has called you to be a pastor. And I looked at him and said, that's never going to happen. I did. I looked at Pastor Nate. I said, that is never going to happen. Number one, I don't like speaking in front of people. And number two, I only own white T-shirts, which that's all I owned was white T-shirts and jeans. And Pastor Nate always wore a suit. I'm like, it just ain't going to happen. And he, he, and he, he gave me his laugh. <laughs> oh, yeah, well. <laughs> and then he did something that blew my mind. He goes, I am so convinced that God has called you to be a pastor that within the next few months, you're going to show up to church, and I'm going to say, I'm not preaching today. Mike is. So he says, so you have your choice. You can start preparing a message now and asking for God to help you, because that's what he told me, and start praying, fasting, and interceding that God will help you. And he says, and you'll be ready when I call you to preach that Sunday. And I looked at him like, are you out of your mind? And he just laughed again. And he says, be ready. And guess what Mike did? I started reading the word more. I started getting into the Bible. And what God was dealing with me is because I grew up in a, a home that was filled with a lack of love, I started studying everything I could on love. Everything I could digest in the Bible on love. And guess what my first sermon was on? Love. 
And it didn't happen on a Sunday morning, but it was an all-night prayer meeting. And I came to the all-night prayer meeting. And as I walked in, you know, there's probably 50, 60 people there. And all the guys that, by the way, I got saved with on my construction site, because there's about eight of us that got saved off the construction site where I became a Christian on. And Pastor Nate looks at me and says, Mike's going to bring the word tonight. You know what my, my buddies all did? Mike? Who? Mike? They're all like, Mike? And I got up there, and I had my message, and I delivered my message. And, uh, and these guys were so obvious. They were sitting in the front row, and they're like, oh, my goodness, he's not bad. He's not that bad. He's pretty good. Boy, God must have a challenge on his, his heart to become a pastor. And I'm listening to them as I'm preaching, and they're doing this all in the front row. But to see, that's the Word of God. That's the Word of God that is active and speaks to your heart and your mind and gives you your destiny. Shows you your identity. Shows you your purpose. And trust me, he doesn't just do it for Mike McCartney, amen? He did it for Clarence Edward McCartney, too. And by the way, I signed up for Ancestry.com. I was pretty bummed out because he wasn't in there. It's like, oh, man. So I'm doing my research, at least, and I got his autobiography, by the way. He had an autobiography, so I got his autobiography. I'll read it this next week when it comes. But I'm just like, this is so exciting. To know that, that God speaks to individuals, and there may be somebody in my ancestry who was a preacher before I was, because I kind of thought I was the first one, by the way. Nobody in my family from all the way back that I know was even churchgoers, okay? Just so you know, you know, <laughs> it, it just wasn't in the, in the family heritage here. Well, let's go on here. I'm, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances, another word for the Bible, the word. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. So, so we have this text that we can find joy in a journey through the word. And, and, then, I'm, and then I'm going to take you to my next verse here. And I'm going to not be able to get to everything I want to get to today, but that's okay. Psalm 119. Anybody know anything about Psalm 119? It is the longest chapter in the Bible. There's 176 verses, by the way. It's divided into, I believe, 22 stanzas, which uh, parallel the Hebrew alphabet from Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Daleph, Hay, and all the way down to Tav, which is the last one. And so it is written in, in these verses at each one of the sections that would, would have started in the original Hebrew, it would have started in the original Hebrew. Each one of the 22 sections of eight verses uh, parallels to the beginning of that Hebrew word that is used to start it off. So Psalm 119 is the longest uh, chapter in the Bible. Interesting enough, anybody know where the center of the Bible is? Psalm 118 is considered the center chapter of the Bible. And then if you don't know, Psalm 117 is the shortest chapter of the Bible. So somewhere in the middle of the Bible, God places Psalm 119 in the middle of it. And, and you can read it in the NIV, but I happened to pick up the New Living Translation uh, this last week. So I read, read it in the New Living Translation. And actually, look what the word says. Joy for our people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. In other words, joyful are those who, who what? Who follow the instructions of the Bible. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. So here we go again. Joyful are those who obey the Bible and follow the precepts and teachings and commandments of the Bible. 
Then it goes on to say, they do not compromise with evil, and they walk only in his paths. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. Wouldn't we all want to say that? Can I tell you something today? God has not given up on you. And this psalmist, whoever it was, it's, it's kind of debated who the psalmist is. It could be David. Some think it could be Ezra. Some think it could be Daniel. But this psalm is so interesting in that it is a psalm that goes and keeps coming back to the Word of God, the power of the Word of God. Now, the NIV, if you look in your NIV, will use the word blessed instead of joyful. Now, there's some translations use the word joyful, some use the word blessed. I, I kind of think blessed is probably a more accurate translation because in our world, joyful can be kind of taken out of context to what it meant back then or well, what it means to be happy back then could be taken out of context to what it means to be happy today. And so this word, blessed, blessing, happy, joyful are those who follow the word of God, the Bible, can, can kind of be parallel in this whole thing. But I want you to understand that the word that is being said here, the psalmist is saying that he has gone through many trials and tribulations. If you read Psalm 119 all the way from Aleph to Tav, and you read everything in between, that he keeps coming back that the Bible helped him through scandals. The Bible helped him through persecution. The Bible was there to deliver him. The Bible was there to set him free. The Bible was there to give him wisdom. The Bible was there to help him, to help him, to help him, to help him. And all the way through, it gave him joy. See, there's other verses that spring forward out of Psalm 119. For example, Psalm 119.14, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies, another word for the word, as much as in all riches. He says here, he says, I rejoice, I have joy in that I follow your word over riches. I am happy and joyful that I follow your teaching and I do what is right rather than pursue riches and do what is wrong. So he talks about that dimension. And how many know that you know, you will have a joyful life if you follow the teachings of the Bible. How many, you know, just look at the media, the people who get disgraced because they, they don't follow the teachings of the Bible, right? You, want, you can go back and you can look at the college scandal with the one gal with the college scandal. She would never imagine she was going to get five years in prison. You see, people lose their joy because they lose their way. They lose their guidance. They lose their direction. The Bible is there to give us the direction we need if we want to have joy in the journey of life. Psalm 119, 111, your statues are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. Your word, God, this psalmist says, is a joy of my heart. Even though I've been through trials, persecution, tribulation, and if you compare it to Daniel, Daniel was, you know, thrown into the lion's den and, and you know, and the, the lions didn't eat him. Or if you go with David, David was being chased by Saul over the place and wanted to get it. He was trying to take his life from him. Or if you do Ezra, Ezra's rebuilding the walls down there and, uh, and rebuilding the temple there in, in Jerusalem when it was torn down and, and all these people were coming against them. But whoever wrote it, any one of the three who wrote it, the idea behind it is I found joy in God's word no matter what was happening in, my, in, the, in the context of what was happening around me. So do you want joy? Do you really want joy in life? 
Are you looking for joy? Would you like a joy-filled life? Would you like to find peace in the midst of the storm? Would you like to find hope in the midst of hopelessness? Would you like to find light in the midst of darkness? Would you like to know that someone can provide supernaturally financially for you in your financial crisis? Would you like to know that God can do something beyond what a doctor can do? Well, the Bible tells us he can. The Bible tells us he cares for us. The Bible tells us he loves us so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us so that we could be set free. But if you move on into Psalm 119, our second section is Beth. Notice what it says in verse 9. How can a young person stay pure by obeying your word? Do you want to stay pure in an impure world? Then follow God's word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. This, this author of this psalm says, man, I've been looking for you. I find you, but don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against you. And I'm going pa- to pause there. I'm going to come back to Psalm 119 next week. But my question to you is, do you realize how powerful this thing is? Do you realize that this Bible which is one of the most ancient books out there that's still in existence, that it is filled with truth, it is filled with love, it is filled with hope, it deals with every subject imaginable about your life, and it can guide you, direct you, preserve you, protect you, give you wisdom and insight. But more than any of that, it can give you joy. I look at some of the, I I get amazed at at some of the Hollywood stars who commit suicide. Robin Williams, I think of him. How sad that a man thought the only way out was to take his life. Yet, did you know that when he took his life, he was worth $50 million? He took his life. How many other stars in Hollywood have taken their lives, and they have all the riches, and they have all the fame, and they have all that, but they can't find joy in the journey to press on in life? We hear about kids committing suicide in school today because they have no hope. Because they haven't discovered who Jesus is, I believe. And Jesus wants to make himself so real to us that we know without a shadow of a doubt that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Amen? Let's stand. So my challenge to you today is rediscover the Bible. If you haven't read it in a while, get back into it. If the translation you're using seems kind of old and out of date, go get another translation. It'll be alive. Just get into your word, folks. Get into your Bibles and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the truth of your word, the Bible, that it is there for us to lead us, to guide us, to direct us. It's there to help us find joy, Lord. It's there to renew our soul. It's there to heal the ravages of sin that have come against us. It's there to heal marriages and heal relationships. It's there to forgive. It's there to bring life in the midst of a lifeless situation. So, Lord, we just pray that you would encourage each and every one of us today with your word and speak to us through your word this week. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So my challenge, pick up your Bibles this week and start reading. Amen? Or pick it up in verse and do a devotional. God bless you. If you need prayer, come on down front. We'll be happy to pray with you. The rest of you have a great week. God bless.
Peace, so hard. 